0: Uh, My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance in KPMG, and I'm delighted to present to you, uh, in conjunction with Airline Economics, the first in a series of podcast interviews with leaders in the aviation finance sector. Um, I'm delighted to have with us as our our first guest, Steve Hannes, who is the CEO of Wings Capital Partners. Steve is an industry veteran, um, he was the co-founder and former CEO of ACG, and I expect to be known to most of our listeners. Listeners. Steve, thanks for joining us. And maybe before we get into the meat of the questions, I was hoping you might just tell our listeners, you know, if they don't already know, a little bit about Wings Capital Partners.
1: Yes, I appreciate that, Joe. And, and uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to say a few words here. Uh, Wings Capital Partners, did late October 2013, uh, in partnership with uh, Two Sigma Private Investments, which was a fundamentally a family office of uh, two individuals that were extremely wealthy, that had created uh, basically a technology company to trade liquid financial markets um with the seed capital we have since grown that company expanded the equity base to today wings capital partners has three shareholder groups one of which is Sightway capital which is the rebadged version of two sigma private investments and quorum capital management and then the management team which includes myself and uh, three other senior uh, members of the company um the uh wings capital partners today has uh about two and a half billion in assets. Um, we primarily focus on younger stage, uh, younger NGs and A320 aircraft. I'm gonna define younger, sort of, you know, one to two years old, to eight years old. Um, we look for sort of, we sort of acquire assets, both uh, in the sale and lease back capacity, as well as from other uh, lessors in, in the community. We have uh, 65 aircraft in the portfolio today. Um, We have about 35 different lessees. We've done two ABS transactions, one in 2017 and 2019. We have uh, 27 employees. We're headquartered in Newport Beach with an office in Dublin, and we have a a marketing office in Singapore. Thanks, Steve. And and can I ask you, you have
0: obviously been around the sector a very long time, and, and I've seen the various iterations and cycles that have been there. How does the impact of Covid nine situation, uh, compare to the other downturns the sector has faced.
1: Joe, it's very different. Um, I've been through uh, quite a few downturns. Um, one of which started back in the early eighties when uh, the Federal Reserve uh, under Paul Volcker decided he was going to squash inflation and he raised interest rates to twenty one percent. At those days, there was a it was pretty difficult in the industry because most airlines finance themselves on a floating rate basis. Uh, then, of course, we had. Um, in, you know, in the mid-90s, we had the Asian debt crisis. And of course, the, uh, the probably the biggest impact was 2001 when we had 9-11, which was a direct hit on the aerospace industry. And of course, in 2003, we had SARS, which is probably the most similar to what we have today, but it was different in the sense that it was primarily Asian-focused, in particular China. But China at the time in 2003 was not a significant, yet a significant participant in the global economic environment they were just starting to develop supply chains um, the globalization was just starting to come into before so this is very different it's 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 very different um from the financial crisis 2008 2009 which was really a financially driven uh matter this is this is a basically a, you know a very difficult disease that has very quickly around the around the globe and um uh, it is it has forced the shutdown of supply chains uh, and it's really created a very, very difficult um, situation for everyone. There's really nothing that compares with the global scope of this. Um, I think some were probably just as uh, difficult for regions, like 9-11 was really US-centric as much as anything. The SARS was more of Asian-centric, and China had yet not come uh, into the global spectrum the way it is today. So this is a very different, in terms of scope, in terms of the the, the presence And in terms of the the actions of governments uh, to uh, literally shut down the global economy, at least for a period of time, to try to get a grip on this uh, this nasty virus. And you mentioned there's the the global nature of this,
0: which is clear to all. Despite that, do you think there are jurisdictions or types of companies that will be more impacted or have been more impacted than others?
1: Joe, certainly. I mean, it's, it's clear that anything in the travel industry or the hotel industry or the cruise industry, anything that re, 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 uh, necessitates travel across borders um, will have uh, be most impacted and will be in, in most need of capital. Uh, some industries that are, are more uh, local, um, like utilities that are local in the, in the regions, uh, whether it be in France or the U.S. or England, um, you know, they'll be less impacted Um because they'll still be providing power, et cetera. But it'll be the transportation industries, the folks that supply those transportation industries, the the cruise industries, uh, the hotel industries, anything that necessitates travel or movement of people will be the most seriously affected in this uh, this, uh, crisis.
0: In that aviation context, I mean, do you see different challenges for different jurisdictions? If we look at maybe... From an Asian perspective, you know that they were first hit and are possibly coming out of it sooner. Um, one would hope, right? But do you see jurisdictions across the world in an aviation basis that that, that will be more challenged than others, or what's your take on
1: that? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a function of, uh, of the support they get from their local governments. Um, in terms of, I think everyone everyone in the aviation business will be affected. It'll be impacted at some level, uh, some much more severely. The, Companies that are undercapitalized uh, will, will feel the impact more severely um, and may not, even, you know, maybe existential to them. Uh, it'll be a function of how quickly the governments respond and, and, and is it a targeted response? The U.S. have obviously has responded in a very aggressive way through literally throwing trillions of dollars to try to keep the economy to some level of functioning and even targeting $25 billion and then another $25 billion to the aviation sector to try to. Buy them time to come out of this uh, environment. Some some countries um, either won't have the wherewithal or the desire uh, to do it. So it will be in some respects how the various jurisdictions respond to it. Um, I think the knock-on effect to uh, the less the leasing community, um, and the finance community is I don't see the I don't see any at this juncture a government support to supporting those enter- enterprises that in effect. Support the aviation industry, and the reason for that is that they're just not considered uh, systemic uh, and 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 sufficiently important for the government to provide support to it. But those industries and those companies will be impacted by the necessity of the airline industry to try to uh, preserve its capital, and so uh, those folks will be exposed. And do they have the capital to get to the other side of this uh, this crisis? And those challenges that, that
0: that will be distinct and different in looking at airlines and looking at lessors, you know in, in the past you look at you know at lessors, you know probably having other avenues in, in which to you know take their assets back and look at other locations that they could they could try and lease them, which, which isn't really the position here. What, what what are the main challenges you see facing lessors in this unprecedented unprecedented situation?
1: Well, Lessor is going to be confronted with uh, a number of issues. I mean, we're not immune from it at Wings. We've had a significant number of our customers come to us asking for anywhere from three to six months rental deferrals. Um, we're dealing with a case-by-case basis. but um, And then you have a difficult decision. You have to make a decision um, on whether or not you think the airline can come out the other side. Does it have sufficient capital? Is its government, if it's not, uh, if its government being supported? supporting it uh, does it view it as, as uh, systemic to uh, the, uh, the, the infrastructure of that country and so then you have to take a choice and your choice is to work with a we work with a lessee, which we try to do if it makes commercial sense or to take the airplane back um, if we take the, if you leave the airplane there and you and the airlines not viable then you run the risk of collapse and, and of course then it could have all kinds of negative impact on your assets if you take the asset back, uh, then you've got to store it because it probably won't be a home for it uh, in the near future. Uh, you'll have to put it through a deep storage and it'll have to sit there for a while until you can find a new customer for it. And that probably won't be for a while. It might be as much as a year uh, until there's some recovery in the industry. So it's a it's a difficult balance. You have to take it on a case-by-case basis and try to make a judgment. Uh, we have operated um, in a way to try to work with airlines, but if we view that there's uh, there's really no future for it or it's, it's financially weak and was about to collapse anyway. We've elected to take airplanes back and look for another home. One of the benefits
0: you obviously have in, in your role in Wings is, is you, as you mentioned, you've been through those other downturns, right? You, you've seen what happened after 9-11 or SARS, or the financial crash. What lessons from a lessor perspective can you take while, while acknowledging that this situation is different are there overlaps and challenges and lessons you can take from the previous downturns?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I learned in, in the past that um, if an airline's going to fail, um, you're better off to recognize it early and to take your asset back um, and, uh, and put it in storage. If the airline does fail, you run the risk that parts are taken from the aircraft. Um, there's damage to the aircraft. Uh, Government authorities um, will place liens on it for for past due uh, and of course, in the eurozone, euro controls or for landing fees that weren't paid, and then you got to settle those. So you're better off to come to an agreement, an accommodation with the airlines, in some recognition that both parties that it's 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 in their interest to give the plane back and you to take it back and let them to try to uh, revert back and try to resurrect their their business plan in a smaller capacity. The unfortunate part of that is that airlines rarely. Um, you know, really succeed when they're trying to shrink down. It's a hard thing to do to shrink down. Um, but, you know, some may take that choice. So it's better to recognize the facts at the beginning and to to make a, a clear, a steely-eyed judgment that you may have to take your airplane back as opposed to leaving it with a, a an airline that may eventually fail. And then you have a much greater um, cost than trying to re- resurrect that airplane to place it with another customer.
0: And in looking at your, your customer base at the moment, in assessing and making those decision points, is it predominantly looking at what the government support w- will shape up like given
1: you know the, the wide level of disruption that's across the global market? We start in a, on a case-by-case basis. Uh, when an airline asks to restructure the lease, we ask them to send us uh, sort of a cash flow projection and a budget. And and we try to make it and we, we review those. And, and, and in fairness, uh, virtually every airline has been responsible what their plan is to uh, get through this problem and to resurrect themselves and what they see the plan going forward. Then we make a judgment based on there's a lot of experience at Wings. Uh, folks that come from the manufacturing sector, come from the leasing sector, come from the finance sector. Um, we All of us have been in this business a long, long time. And we try to make a judgment on whether we think they've got a viable business plan. If we come to that judgment that they have a viable business plan, uh, then, then we... Um, uh, we go ahead and we uh, will work with the airline in terms of restructuring. If we come to the judgment that we're not certain whether they have a viable business plan, then we'll look at if there's any support and how systemic are they to the to the country in hand, and will the government step in to try to support it. And usually there's indications of that uh, prior to when you have sit down and have these conversations. So we start first with taking a look at the airline's cash flow projection, where they think they can be. And it's, and it's not uh, overly detailed, and they've all provided it to us. Um, and then we try to work with them and come, come up with a solution that gives them a chance to be viable. And on that
0: broad government support, you, you mentioned the huge package that was announced by the U.S. What's your general view on, on the proposed level of government support you know, across the globe so far in looking at the aviation sector?
1: Well, cl- clearly, in the case of China... Um, because of the nature of the government, they can do whatever they want to do and they will. I mean, they be, they behave that way in SARS, um, but it was much more regional in the sense that SARS, in some respects, was probably a, a, a more uh, fatal disease, but it was much more regionally uh, implemented because China hadn't yet become fully uh, integrated into the world economy. They just were admitted to the WTO in 1999-2000. So they were just now starting to develop supply chains and other uh, integration system so it was much more regional but the chinese government responded very quickly um there are and the eurozone is a much a little bit more is in terms of the other large body that one can look at other than the u.s the eurozone of course has got the complication that you've got uh you know quite a few different countries make up the eurozone and they all have different uh, political and economic agendas and they and you have to get them all on one page um the italians of course irrespective of what may be the guideposts from, from other parts of the Eurozone, gonna, the government's going to support because they don't want to lose a, a flight carrier. Uh, that may be the same. It may not be the same in, in, in Hungary, or they may not be the same in the Netherlands. Uh, the French have taken a little bit more uh, spirited uh, support and basically assuring folks at KLM and Air France to survive. Uh, the English, of course, they're walking a fine line because um, they'll be criticized by folks that don't get aid, uh, so the eurozone is a little bit more complicated in the sense that you've got different political and economic agendas. There are some countries in the world that just don't have the wherewithal uh, to do it. And many of these are in Latin America. They just don't have the resources. They'll do what they can. Um, they'll try to protect uh, in terms of uh, their flag carriers, but they just don't have the financial re- resources to do to do much in terms of, which is really a global shutdown of, of transportation assets. Um, some of the countries in Asia um, will try to respond again. It's a question of do they have the wherewithal to respond, uh, and for the commodity-based countries uh, that depend on the sale of oil and whatever oil has not been a, a benefactor to, to these countries, and that's places like Mexico, uh, which their budget's been crimped by it, and other places in the Middle East where the price of oil is just just is not economically uh, driving the, is supporting the budget. So it's a function of where you are in the world um, and political and, and geographic uh, necessities um, that uh, dictate whether or not you're going to have uh, uh, support from the government. And
0: is there a risk in, in looking at that approach where you, know, you will have a nationalist or, or jingoistic approach to, to, to what possibly gets saved or not, that you'll have you know a lot of good airlines going bust and, and arguably some not so good airlines being
1: saved? Yes, that is a risk to fall back thirty, forty years. You had the concept of flag carriers. You know, BOAC was a flag carrier. with British Airways now is the is the descendant of that airline. And in, in the U.S., which is no longer here, Pan Am was our notional flag carrier. So you'll have flag carriers that will, you know, that'll be, uh, um, you know, some gravity, you know, gravity towards it. But I would say a lot of it comes down. And I've seen this behavior in many countries where there might have been a flag carrier, but that flag carrier. Is a, on good political terms with the government, so the government may select. Uh, they, I think they'll try to be somewhat even-handed, but there'll also be a bias towards: do we have a good political relationship with the government? Some airlines don't. Okay, and so the consequence of that is it's uh, there'll be a little bit of a selection, but I think selection, the selection, will be based on political. Uh, you know, who's viewed politically as someone that is important to them, important to the country. And looking mm-hmm. out ahead and we won't
0: play this back to you and, and hold it to you in a year's time but what what shape do you think in an
1: aviation context a recovery may take my view is that uh, and i sit on the board of a, of a canadian airline and so my view is that you will see um, more of a u-shaped recovery i think will I, I think uh, it'll take anywhere from 18 to 24 months before we return to any kind of uh, uh, transportation levels that we had in 2019. So that would put it somewhere in the second quarter of 2022. Um, it's take, it'll take time. First of all, it'll take time to restart. Um, and even if airlines can restart it, it when, when, and when they do restart it'll take time to become fully operational again. Um, that'll take six to nine months. And then you have the traveling public. There'll be a certain hesitation as people try to readjust to a new paradigm in the world in terms of social distancing Uh, you know, security, et cetera. So it will take time. And I don't think, and I think when we get to 2022, we're probably looking at a a global fleet um, in terms of number of aircraft, not a whole lot different than we went into this crisis. I don't think you'll see much growth in the addition of aircraft. Airlines will be trying to maximize what they have. I think you'll see probably more cancellations uh, from the OEM. Uh, who had ramped up production. And I i was quite frankly surprised you could even think about getting to some of these levels, given the huge supply chains. But you'll have more cancellations of newer aircraft um, as people come try to come to their, uh, the rationalization that they have to uh, get to the other side of this and hopefully get back to some level of growth, which I don't think will come before second quarter 2022. And then it'll be just sort of back where we were in 2019. And in looking at this
0: huge level of disruption in the market and and all the uncertainty that is now out there focusing in on on aviation finance. Do you think this could drive opportunities or transactions? Um, If yes, what what types
1: of opportunities may be out there in the medium term? Well, I think there'll be opportunities to do sell banks and folks that need capital. We've already seen some of that behavior. There'll be some lessors that uh, 'll we'll need to sell portfolio assets because the capital markets are relatively closed at this time, or there's a little hesitation to make to do any kind of financing at reasonable cost, so they may you may see opportunities to buy sections of portfolios uh, from other lessors and then the question becomes the capital markets. I don't think we've spent much time on that in this podcast, but uh, the, it takes time for the the financial markets are are fright. Okay, And for good reason. They don't know where this thing's going to end. And it's not just with the aviation sectors, with all their sectors. I heard of a striking statistic the other day that something like 41% of the renters in Manhattan, this is just Manhattan, didn't pay the rent the last month. And whether they could or that they just didn't pay it. And so that will start backing up in the CNBSs. Uh, we'll, start, we'll start to see that behavior in the securities already. And then eventually, it will get to the banks. So I think you're going to see a caution on the banks to lend, a caution on investors to to provide any kind of reasonable rate financing. It's going to be a challenge. So there will be opportunities. I think it'll be people that need to raise capital to conserve capital. And that'll come in the form of selling leasebacks, younger assets, older assets. They'll come in the form of lessors needing to jettison some of their portfolio to create equity. But then you're you're going to have the risk who's going to buy it and how are they going to finance it? You know, fortunately, at Wings... We have two very uh, significant shoulders, both are, are, are significant pension funds um, that have significant capital looking for a return and also a uh, significant investor groups so we have a significant amount of capital. We will look for opportunities, but we'll be cautious and I think you'll find that with a number of folks but we're already starting to see some of that behavior I think it'll get intensified as the summer goes on uh, and to get to the other end and and i and the sooner that hopefully that the government's let down the the restrictions on flying, uh, and we get back to some degree of operation operating normally normalcy, it'll be better. Yeah, and I guess that is the, that crystal ball piece where you say
0: you know, look at the the Chinese example of how air travel has come back a bit. You know, if you if you had that across the U.S. and Europe, could could you see a situation where you get into to Q four where where people start to you know possibly consider more. M and A opportunities, or capital returning to the sector. We've obviously seen a, a flood of capital into the sector over the last number of years, uh, and I'm just wondering how long it'll take for for confidence to return to aviation, or if you have a view on that.
1: I do. I think you have to. We have to kind of always segment China in the, by itself because the Chinese government has a unique ability just to direct traffic, so to speak. They can say, "You go fly." We're telling you to fly. The, the financial system say, "We're well, going to support." This group, you're not going to support this. So they have an ability to do things that uh, democratic societies can't do. And so that's, you know, that's the benefit being a centrally planned economy. You know, in terms of there will be MA and a opportunities. Um, the question is, have, will people adjust their price levels to reflect reality? That'll take time. I mean, eventually people are going to look at this and say, the assets may not be worth as much as they were six months ago and they're not worth as much because finance drives asset values and they'll be they'll be it will be harder to, to find someone prepared to buy competitive financing. So what will happen is asset values tend to shrink because finance won't be there. Finance drives all asset values by the way, it's not just airplanes it drives real estate, it drives uh drives uh, M&A transaction. So if as finance tries to recover um, and get a little bit more comfortable with the way the world is, it will uh uh, it will it, there will be opportunities, and the question of who has the capital to execute in those opportunities, and what will be the quality? Did they, they price it? It'll be price discovery will be the the big issue following the financial crisis, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and Joe, obviously in, the, in in Europe and Ireland. You'll you know you can remember all the horrific things that happened in the Irish economy, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You know, and and it took, frankly speaking, in the aviation sector about three. Good three, three to four years. Probably it wasn't until 2000, late 2013, that finance in any kind of what I'd call aggressive way started to come back to our sector. The 2010, 11, and 12 were almost dead years. You know, if you if you, if you could finance something, it had to be the best of credits, it had to be a new asset or relatively very young asset, and the term couldn't go more than six or seven years, and it had to have very, 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 very aggressive pricing. So it may take a number of years for uh, the financial community to come back from this this sharp downturn. We'll see. Um, I don't think it's be quickly. They're going to be processing, uh, not just in this industry, but in other industries, uh, bad loan provisions. You know, there will be processing uh, defaulted customers. I um, you're going to start to see some of that and how they work their way through. It'll it take a couple of years. And so I think getting back to your original question, I didn't mean to drift from it, but finance drives asset values. There will be opportunities. People will need to raise capital. Um, whether they sell assets to lique- liquefy the equity or they um, do sell leasebacks at very high rates to raise capital, um, you'll see that and capital conservation become very important at this juncture.
0: Steve, I'd like to thank you for what was a really interesting discussion and some excellent insights, obviously built on a, a foundation of many decades within the sector. So Steve, thank you for your time today and I, uh, I wish you all the best in the future. Joe,
1: thank you, and everybody be safe. And, Victoria, thank you for arranging the the phone call.